Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films made by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we look at a different film and some of the themes and ideas that get thrown up by that film. At the moment we're into our third season now and we're looking at the films of various directors on a month-by-month basis and this month's director is Sofia Coppola. Before we get on to the Coppola film that we'll be looking at this week though, there's something we always start with and that's what have we been watching this week so rob what have you been up to this week i um actually had a chance uh through various reasons to sit down and watch a full-length movie at home um ah. which is, is rarer i tend to watch movies in sections these days i've discussed um but because it was my wife's birthday we took the day off work and we sat down and we watched the 2017 film jumanji welcome to the jungle it stars The Rock, it stars um, Karen Gillan, Kevin Hart, it's got Jack Black. Um, essentially, it's a modern-day updating of the Jumanji tale, uh, the classic Robin Williams film. But in this one, they go to Jumanji. Robin isn't the real world, it's almost all set in Jumanji. And it's a video game rules rather than board game rules. And it's bloody brilliant. It's really a good, fun ride. It is the acting is exactly what we expect from this. The rock brings the the right level of kind of the rockness, shall we say, and the fact that uh, if you've seen the trailer, this isn't a spoiler. They are playing teenagers thrown into this real world who are living through these avatars. So he is as much the rock as he is a nerdy teenage boy. Jack Black notably is being both the avatar of a very vain uh, teenage girl. And it's all about them kind of growing and coming together as a people and kind of coming together as a group. But it is a great action film. It is a rock action film. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a good, fun ride of a movie. The Rock, I think, is probably, I'd say, the biggest action star of our day. I can't think of anyone else who kind of touches him in terms of this kind of movie, that knowing um, funniness that he, he brings mm. these roles. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Jumanji and you're after a good one, I'd recommend it heartily. But yeah, it, it, it's a big fun ride, I'd say. Big fun ride. What about you, Sam? Right. Well, um, I have not not watched any films recently, but I've gotten to, well, we've watched the first episode of a TV miniseries on the BBC at the moment. It's Audio by Innocence. And it's a... Um, an adaptation of an Agatha Christie, and there have been several of those, several good ones recently we had, and then there were none, um, Winters of the Prosecution and others. Um, this is very good, it's it's well acted, it's got people you know, Anthony Boyle that you know from various things recently, Bill Nye, um it's it's very well acted, well produced, a little on the depressing side, so not something to binge watch, but in, enjoyable nonetheless. Brilliant, brilliant. I, I, unfortunately, my Agatha Christiness is burnt out. I did a module during my film course of adaptation studies, and uh, every week we wa- we read an Agatha Christie novel and we read we watched the movie adaptation of it or a adaptation of it. Um, and I, I, I'm still ten years on. Still, I can't go back to Christie. I can't do it. I've been burnt out. Mm, okay. So this guys, as Sam mentioned, we are moving on with our Sophia Coppola season. And we are picking up with probably her biggest movie um, before and since. Um, and that is the 2000 and... Look at it here. That is the 2003 film, Lost in Translation. 
relaxing times. Make it Suntory time. Cut, 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 cut! Is that everything? I mean, it seemed like he said more than that. You're a movie star. Yes, I should be doing movies. You know, Lat Pak. Lost in Translation is the tale of two lost souls in many ways one an aging movie star played by bill murray and one a newly married uh ivy league graduate kind of who's in tokyo with her photography husband played by scarlett hansen both of them are equally lost in different ways um both emotionally physically and in this bewildering metropolis of tokyo and the movie is kind of a rom-com it's about the building of those relationship between these two um as they kind of find each other at boss being equally lost but it isn't a romance in any kind of traditional sense and whereas obviously there's a large age gap in the two of them it doesn't come off as creepy in the way other films by people like woody allen possibly can do but it is like last week's virgin suicide a meditative film. It is a, in many ways, a narrativeless film. It doesn't really have that kind of traditional sort of three act structure that we're used to. Um, and Tokyo himself is a uh, is a, as much a character in this as anyone else. I think anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time will know where this film sits in my film rankings. Um, but honestly, I'm not sure where it sits with Sam. So, Sam, how did you find this film? I have a bit of a review and then a big question about this film. Um, my bit of a review is, I mean, it's, it's very enjoyable. It, it meanders along and nothing really happens and that's quite fun in itself because that seems to be what the narrative is about. Um, so the structure reflects that. There are some brilliant performances. Um, the... I, I love the chemistry between Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. It's just and I I could I could just watch them talk all day um and do away with the rest rest of the film really. Um yeah, Giovanni Ruiz is good and Anna Faris is suitably annoying and yeah, it's very enjoyable. It's a meditative film, as you said, sort of following on from version of Suicide last week. The music's very good, and it's very subtly used. Silence is used very well as well. Um, my question, though, I mean, and I would, I would say, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the film. It's a solid sort of, I don't know, seven and a half, eight out of ten for me. I really like it. Um, but I know it's, it, as you said, it sits very highly in your estimation. Yes, it does. It, it, it's in my top five of all time. And my question is, why? Okay. I just don't understand. And I was saying, because I saw the end of this with my wife, and I was saying, well, I just, I mean, I like it, but I just don't get why Rob loves this so much. Okay. And no, I, she, she said, oh, well, he's an enigma. And like beyond that, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, I will ask one question then, in, in answer to your question. Mm. When did you first see this film? Um, a few years after it came out, maybe. 
See, I think this is this is one of those films that we've discussed previously. If it catches you at the right moment, it can mean something to you. Right. And I saw this film probably in my so probably a year after it came out. Um, in my with that on on home release in my final year of university, and. I think the, the the themes of being lost, the idea of what's next, you know, at this kind of turning point in your life and thinking, well, what what, what do I do now? Where do I go now? Um, because having done a film degree, there, there isn't often a clear career path from there. There isn't a clear life plan from that kind of degree in the same way maybe someone who's in academia or someone with a more of a focused professional degree might have. And so I was in this kind of place of like, what the hell do I do now? What, what What's next for me? Mm. And this film came along and it resonated with me. I think on also a more sort of, uh, sort of technical level, I think it's beautifully shot. I think I've always, I mean, anyone who listens to the show will know that I'm, I'm always a big fan of films that look good or look interesting or have something to say visually. And I think this film does have something to say visually. It does have certainly ideas it presents in a visual manner and it's good looking. You know, the, you could grab almost any frame from this movie and, and hang it on the wall. So I think those two things come together to mean something to me. I, I completely admit if I watch this film now for the first time, I don't know whether it would hit that top five for me. Mm. But it's that film you see at the right moment, at the right time, in the right when you're in the right place, right. Um, that uh, it hits you. And if you look at things like Garden State, which is another great one, mm. um, which I think a lot of people of our generation really like, because it, we watched it at that age when we're, we're equally directionless, yes. and it explores that and expresses that. Whereas if we watch it as people who are in their mid thirties who've married and kids and careers, it isn't the same kind of movie experience. It's, so I, it, I accept its place. Yes, and with with Garden State, I don't think I watched it when it first came out, and I watched it when I was a bit older, and I think I watched it in my late 20s, and I think, well, I thought, what was the fuss about this? This mm. is just, um, what's the name, Zach Braff, just, just indulging himself, and it didn't really make sense to me. And I think that's where I mean, the context is king, as they often say. Mm. Um, and that, and, and lot of me, lot of translation is is that pure context. And I go back to it now. Um, and whilst I don't resonate with the themes of being lost that uh, it had at the time, I still see its beauty. I still see its craft. And as you say, it's the, the Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, both who are movie stars in 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 the sort of the traditional old school's term seeing them riff on each other seeing them hang out and almost as a minutiae of their day it's i still want to live in that world a little bit i still want to be in that conversation Hmm. one one thing i did particularly like about this film is how um and as in what you what you want to talk about thematically but one of the things that comes out very early on from the sort of mistranslations is the idea of just utter miscommunication and one of the things that, that stood out for me was just how funny some of the early scenes are. With, I mean, taking this idea that the the Japanese is much longer than the condensed English form, and and taking that up to eleven with with the direct the photography director having a whole whole spiel of things, so the the direction of the advert having a whole whole set of mm. things that he says to Bill Murray. And then the translation is just sort of half a sentence. I did, I did enjoy that, and I enjoy, I enjoyed how Bill Murray was the Bob Harris character was just forced to accept things like that. 
See, it, that's a strange thing. As someone who has worked abroad in, in non-English speaking countries, that's a funny routine, but it's also like a, a really thing that happens, you know, especially when you're working with, when we're working with foreign crews um, and you have a translator and you'd say something and occasionally you'd say things like, yeah, just do that. And the translator would go on for like a minute and you're like, what are you saying? Because you aren't saying what I said. Um, and the same in return that they, 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 they'd, they'd say and you get, yes, that's great. You know, but, but is it? <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's that, I mean, it's, it's very funny. Um, and I think, Bob Murray certainly sells it, but it is, it's one of those real things. And uh, Sophia does talk about in very interviews about how a lot of this was about her experience. Her, she used to go to Tokyo when she ran a company when she was younger. And that feeling of disconnection was part of that. Um, and she used to be married to, um, I think it's Spike Jones. Um, and the marriage between um, Scarlett Johansson and Giovanni Ribisi is based on that marriage and that kind of disconnect. But yeah, I, th- I think you, you got it right. That mistranslation, that kind of, uh, it builds the isolation, um, and, but it's 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 going to sound strange, but it's kind of an isolation in a benign way, mm. if that makes sense. We've watched films in the past which deal with more the aggressive harshness of isolation, but this isn't that. You know, these are these are two privileged white people who are staying in a very nice hotel, and clearly have money and time to burn and wander around the city and experience it, but it's still. It has that kind of soft isolation, you know, that they're, they're, they're being swaddled, even you know, in the, that shoot you're talking about. Bill Murray is it's a star. He's being looked after. But he can still feel kind of like the solo one in the room. And it's that kind of, it's really it's a benign isolation, mm. I would say. I, say I, I did mention briefly at the start about the look of this film. And I kind of wanted just to highlight for those who are sort of t- interested in what I'm talking about there and how this happens visually. And I think the easy way to talk about this is to draw two parallels. Um, and the idea of symmetry and balance in the shots. Uh, there's very early, the start of the, the movie, you've got all these shots of Tokyo um, flitted off the side of the cab and you've got all of these, all the main characters often framed to the edge of the shot. Mm. So you've got Bill Murray in the cab, you've got Scarlett Johansson sitting in the window. You've got all these kind of people who, all, all the characters of they are lost in amongst this huge cityscape. They are lost in amongst everything around them. They are small um, compared to the world. And as the film goes on and these two characters kind of find this symbiosis and find this balance with each other, the images get more and more balanced. Um, and if that find the final scene in which they kind of meet up for the very final time on the streets, they are full frame. They are balanced in the middle of the shot. The shots are symmetrical in how it handles them and the city. And no longer are they these ants scurrying in amongst people, but they are these kind of, they're the centre of the shot. And the film ends with the with Bill Murray's character sitting in a cab. He's centre's frame. Um, he's happy. And then we just, we, the film plays out with these shots of the city where no longer is it intimidating, no longer is it this kind of encroaching presence making our characters isolated. It's more it's kind of just where they are now. It's a place that they're in, they feel comfortable and balanced in. And if you sort of watch those kind of the visual balance between those two, there's a real interesting shift over the film from one to the other as these characters find balance. So do the shots. Hmm. I was think, thinking that the and um, the scenes in which Bill Murray gets taken for karaoke. There's something. I know there's something comforting about it, and it might, mm. uh, as you said, I mean, I hadn't thought about the visuals before, but there's something, it, the visuals start to resolve themselves, and this is not, I mean, you can compare 
him sitting on his own in the hotel bar visually to him sitting in a karaoke bar and and it's not just the fact he's got people with him now it's it's it just feels feels more centered feels more comfortable and I hadn't thought that was the reason for it well I think that it's it's what I talk about is benign isolationism it films warm certainly but it's dark a lot of the early shots are kind of moodily lit they're in the bar at night um, it's all very kind of washed out mm. um, and then you know Bill Murray's comically neon orange carriage top and this sort of burst of vibrancy halfway through the film with pink wigs and neon lights and colour and it's that first kind of if, if it wants to tell this as a love story, it is that first flush of love. It is that first explosion of emotion. Um, and it does settle down into a comfort after that. But I think that, that it, you're right, that is a big turning point, that sort of, that night out sequence. Um, it's exciting. It's emotive. And somehow it's kind of, they say, this kind of upswelling, up, up, upwelling of emotion within the two of them, letting yeah. it out through, through songs. Yeah. I think... What do you think about the ending? Because I'm not sure about the ending. I'm not sure whether there should be resolution or not. I I like the ending. I think the ending works. I think because both of you know, the the unspoken elephant in this room is that both of these people are married. Mm. Um, one recently and one quite for a long time. Um, and there, is, there isn't a version of this film where these people end up as a couple. Um, because I think that's the wrong solution to this. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, you know, this isolationism we talk about and this kind of transient nature of these points in their lives. I think we all have those people who come along for a brief season or a brief moment and can change us, and maybe then they're gone, and maybe that's okay. Um, and the allowance for people to move on and kind of uh, change you and then come and go. I like to think that, 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 that there was a, a loss of tradition too, and then people met up again in some other context. But I think that's just because I say, I want, I want to live in this world. I want mm. to see more of that, that, the wit and the conversation, the friendship. Um, what about you? You see, as, as I said, I'm, I'm not sure because there's a part of me that thinks, yes, yes, these two people are, are married and, I'm not even sure they should have got together at all. I think mm. I, I almost think that that the the sort of the first ending in the hotel lobby is just the sort of ending that it should have had. I think that he doesn't he doesn't get what he wants and she doesn't get what she wants and and it ends with him being sort of dragged away for for a photo op and with with this this entourage of people that are following around and chattering away in Japanese and he doesn't mm. really understand. I quite like that as an ending. I think the the sort of second ending where he catches up to her in the street, it just feels a bit too nice. A bit too ah. Hollywood. See I, I I see what you're saying there, but I think for me, I think it needed that ending. I think to have them, the, the slow build, the slow burn of their friendship over the movie, to have that cut apart at the end, I think would undo the work of both of them. Because certainly at the start, both of them are controlled by others, mm. shall we say? 
both of them have, have no agency. You know, Scarlet's kind of just on the, just there with her husband while she's and they kind of hangs around. Um, and Bill is uh, sort of sent there by her by his agent and is controlled by all these different people. And they both feel kind of age, agency-less. And they, they grow agency over the movie. I think to have the ending not be on their terms would have undercut that. And I think, I see what you're saying, it is a bit of a Hollywood ending, that kind of moment where they catch up in the street. And it can, it can be a little convenient, but I think it has to end on their terms. I think for both these characters to end the movie happy in the right terms, mm. their departure's got to be on their terms. They're, they're the ones making their choices. He was the one who jumped out and chased her down, said whatever he said to her, and then said goodbye, rather than them losing that agency that they've gained. Mm. I suppose the one sort of concession, the one, the one thing that goes against that, that Hollywood too easy ending is the fact that you don't hear what he says. Yeah. So there, there is still something left to them. There, there are there are many videos on the internet that have professed to have done audio cleanup to work out what they're saying, but I don't want to know. I think that's the fi- I think the film works being stronger by not by not knowing what they say. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think. So I think if they if we'd had a, a big swell of music, everyone meeting at the airport, you know, rushing through security, and a big kiss, I would have felt cheated by this film. But I think this kind of almost low key goodbye works for me. Right. I think that's you know, that's a that's the journey I'm talking about with these, these shots and this look. Is the growth of these two characters to find balance in themselves. Um, there's one one shot which for a long time I really didn't get, which is a shot of Bill Murray playing golf. Mm, um, yeah, and it seems very out of place in the rest of this movie. Um, but if you watch it again, it's a beautifully framed shot with the mountain behind him and he's playing golf, and that to me is his real turning point in their balance. You know, whereas he'd felt lost and alone, out of touch with everything around him, he has this brief moment of calm playing golf. Now, Bill Murray himself is a big golfer, so it's it's not hard to draw a line between the two characters. Um, but I think that that is a beautifully composed shot, and for me, as the more I've watched the movie, the more that that scene, that shot, has kind of got. I've got it more. Um, just to a quick aside, I, I appreciate he's playing Bob Harris, but mm. he's Bill Murray, and, yeah. and it's. It, I think it's hard to separate the two in many ways. Yes, it feels like Bill Murray is the character I'm looking at rather than Bob Harris, whereas Scarlett Johansson doesn't feel like Johansson. No, no, it's me. That that golfing shot is interesting. You said I I struggle with with thinking about what that meant as well. But then got up to me later in the film because when she is going to Fukuoka or Kyoto, she's going to another Japanese city, mm. and she sees Mount Fuji through the train window. And there's that link. Like with him playing golf with the backdrop yes. of Mark Fuji, and then she sees it as well. That's another link between the two of them. There's a growing connection between the two of them. Mm, yeah, but it does. It does feel that kind of. And we, we, I've said it earlier. It wasn't, wasn't a rom com, but it has some of the similar beats. You know, they almost break up, shall we say, when he uh, he sleeps with the uh, singer. Mm. Um, and it has and, and that kind of look of oh we, you know, we're both looking at the same moon same mountain kind of thing but it's done in a really kind of softly indie vibe that I really kind of dig it's it's so strange that the point where that where she's angry about I mean, and you think well how can she be angry with him for sleeping with someone when I mean 
to to be with her, he would have had to be cheating on a wife, and she would have had to be cheating on her husband. It mm. it, it makes no sense. And I, I really I really like the and I I think the scene where they go to lunch and are furious with each other is is brilliant. Mm. And it's just it, it's just so real and so how people act. And I also felt that the the apology if you want to call it that, was also equally as real and right. Mm. You know, it wasn't, there wasn't a grand Hollywood moment. It's just like, we're both out in this fire alarm and you just need to acknowledge that it was crap and move on. Yeah. You know, like real friends don't have gr- huge, gr- grandiose apologies. It's just like, well, that was crap, eh? Yes. And we move on with it because that's how friend friendship goes. Mm. Um, so it has that element of realism. I, I agree. Do you have some recommendations for Sam? Yes, I have a couple. Um, one, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Bill Murray in this, and one recommendation uh, following on from that is one of his most recent films. It's the John Favreau Jungle Book from 2016, in which Bill Murray was Baloo. And I really enjoyed this. I, I would... I mean, I haven't seen the new Jumanji, but I should imagine it's it's enjoyable in the same way and completely different from the original in the same way. There's no way that you could compare this to the cartoon, and mm. the cartoon is one of my was one of my favourite films growing up. But it's just a completely different entity, and it sounds like from reviews that that's what Jumanji Two is. It's just a completely different film. Um, but yes, the, the new Jungle Book, 2016 Jungle Book, was, was really enjoyable, and Bill Murray was great in it, and so was the only actor, um, so there were CGI animals, one of them played by Bill Murray, um, and Mowgli was the only actor, played by young Indian boy called Neil Sethi, who was absolutely brilliant. Um, so... Go go and see the Juggle Book to see a, a brilliant ten-year-old acting performance. Fair enough. I'll, I'll check it out. Mm. Um, second one is uh, the rather annoying character Kelly character, friend of uh, Giovanni Ribisi, um, played by Anna Faris, who has done some quite terrible films. I mean. You look at her back catalogue and you think, what what have you been doing with yourself? Uh, but alongside that, she's done um, some great films, including Brokeback Mountain. And I wanted to mention Bro- Brokeback Mountain because I, I like the film. Um, and also because it was a... I mean, just as Lost in Translation for you is one that you can remember seeing. I can remember seeing Brokeback Mountain, not... Not for the same reasons at all. Um, it was... Uh, I saw it in... Just after it came out. So late 2005. And I'd just come back from university. And it was the first time I'd come back from university with my sister, now 15. And we thought, oh, we'll, we'll go and see the latest 15. I can go and finally take my younger sister to see a grown-up film. <laughs> Broadband Mountain is not... I repeat, not the film to see with your 15-year-old sister. 16-year-old see, sister. I know your sister. She'd have yeah. loved it. 
Yeah, but it was just a little bit awkward. I could imagine. I could very much imagine. Yes. Um, so mine, I've uh, a. I'll start with similar to you. I've taken Anna Faris um, as a link to go through, and now I, um, I've kind of gone for a very. Now you may lump this as one of her terrible films, um, but I very much enjoy it, and that's her 2005 film, Just Friends. Uh... <laughs> Uh, starring Ryan Reynolds as a formerly overweight teenager, now uh, the adult good-looking Ryan Reynolds that we know, who goes back to his hometown in a, in a failed attempt to try and woo his high school sweetheart back. Um, unfortunately, tagging along is Anna Faris's Britney slash Christina slash Miley Cyrus-esque pop starlet who she plays with utter deranged glee um this film is it you look at it and you think it's a very straight rom-com but in many ways the character of anna faris brings to it is as anarchic and as black a comedy as you can imagine she is violent she is vicious and she does everything within her power to aggressively and but sweetly ruin everything going on um, she and ron Reynolds' charm certainly elevate this out of its other kind of mediocre roots it's a I want to stress that if you if you don't like rom coms and I totally get that, um this is one that is worth seeing for its kind of it's anarchic and it's it's slightly more chaotic and crazy themes and styles. But my other recommendation is more in line in tune possibly. Cinematographer Lost Organization um has also gone on to do a few other things over the years, uh name of Lance Accord. But he did make a film back in two thousand and fourteen. Um, that didn't get a lot of love at the time and has kind of disappeared into, into the mists. Um, and I really dug it and I wanted to kind of bring a bit of attention to it. And that is the film God's Pocket. Um, and it's about a blue-collar neighbourhood in America. Uh, one of the main characters' sons is killed in an accident. Um, and it's basically a, a, a cover-up. Um, it's performed, we think, and a journalist is trying to uncover it. It's got great acting from... Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christian Hendricks, Richard Jenkins. It's full of people who you'd recognise from various things. Eddie Marsden, who we talked about previously on this show, who we both kind of rate. Um, it's got a load of John Turtos in it. It is kind of working-class American cinema. Um, it's very slow, um, and it has that same kind of vibe of you get to know God's Pocket is, a, is, a, is an area that it's set in. Um, and you get to know that area in the same way that Tokyo is a character in Lost in Translation. You see his work there clearly echoed here and that his work in the way he shoots and predicts this 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 neighbourhood. As I say, not a lot of people in it. It didn't get a lot of uh, sort of affection or crude time, but I've, I've got a soft spot for it. And so I think it's time to champion it a little bit more. So yeah, that is uh, God's Pocket from 2014. That sounds really good. It, 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 it very much is. Brilliant. So, guys, we will be back next week with the next episode in our Sophia Coppola season with her follow-up to... Well, not follow-up to this one, a couple of films later, actually. Um, her film, Man Internet, from 2006. Till then, guys, we will be online and Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic... And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And as always, guys, we love doing these shows, but we'd love it if you'd help support us um, and keep us going and keep us on the air, as it were. We have a Patreon for Kaiju FM. Uh, it helps support us, helps support all the other shows on the network. We have Lawmasters, we have uh, the Space Dragon Continuum, and there's a couple more coming up in a few months um, that hopefully you'll like as well. If you like what we do, 
please check us a dollar or two. It really helps us kind of keep things, the lights on around here, keep things running. Uh, if you just go to koju.fm forward slash support us, or just go to koju.fm and click on support us, it'll take you to our Patreon. Um, and we appreciate everything you can uh, throw away. And there's some rewards on there that maybe you might dig. Till then, guys, we will see you next week. Thank you.